With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome. While everything gets on Tacked on Live, this is Bridges Live Presents. You be the judge every Wednesday at 6 p.m. We come to you live with questions, comments, and answers. But most of all, we come to you with friendship, kindness, and compassion. I just want to let everybody know that um, Bridges Live presents um, You Be the Judge and co-host is Dr. Paul Dyer, myself, and my lovely co-host, Marilyn Pierre, who's running for Circuit Court Judge in Montgomery County. And coming on right now, Judge Claudia Barbara. Uh, we've been hosting the show now. What is this? What, what months are we in? Are we over a year, Marilyn? Oh, we're, we're way past the year. We're way past the year. Uh-huh. We're year yeah, we're closer to two years now. Wow, it's just it's it's flying by, and we have attacked not attacked, but we have talked about many things that come up in our area and in our state, in our community as a national of people, and in the United States. We always like to come to you with information, understanding, and action. Um, this is a political heightened season, so midterms elections are here. And from my voice to your ears, I believe, I truly believe this is the most important election we have come to date in the last 50 years. And that's statistically and data proven. And the reason why it's not so much who is running or who isn't running or who is in office or who would like to be in office. I just think the fabric of our times, we're going through a reconstruction. And in that reconstruction, we have to make sure, and I don't often use so definitive words of we have to, because I think that becomes very argumentative. But I truly believe we have to make sure that we are steering the ship into a humanity ship and not a power over system and not a one size fits all system, but a system of people relationships, and laws. And that's how I feel about that. Judge Claudia Barber, welcome. What do you think? How have you been? Doing well, thank you. Excited to be here another day. But I have been just totally unnerved and unsettled by all the mass shootings that occurred this weekend. And that's from California to Buffalo. But you know what? What caught my eye the most is the fact that uh, one activist kind of brought it home and, and said, you know, we have to really put this at the feet of politicians um, in that they can be change makers and change agents. And, and legislatively changed it. There were a lot of structural uh, deficiencies that came about in, um, uh, in terms of the fact that you have one whole, uh, <laughs> one whole grocery store in a food desert. Correct. Uh, but, uh, and that's still impacting what is going on right now. This very second, yep. that's impacting what's going on. But more to the point, you have a situation as well where you have to really put politicians to task and say, stop lying to us and show us the agenda. Show us everything. I want to see your plan. (laughs) I want to see everything and uh, the weeds of it. I want to see everything. Otherwise, well, actually, you're just lying to me. That was actually said in a, a little bit different words, but that was actually said to Letitia James. She is the Attorney General of Mayor, oh, sorry, of, of um, New York. New York. And when she showed up in Buffalo, 
you know, thoughts and prayers or whatever it is that she was talking about. People said more than just words. We we want actual changes. We want action. Right. Show me the script. Show me the immediate action and steps that you're taking to change this, to change the system, to dismantle structural racism, to um, bring equity, uh, to change this food desert. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. We have food deserts. You know, I, it's, it's fascinating. I'm wearing this shirt because I, I did a lecture over here at UDC. And it was about, it was a food summit about food, the global thing of food in the United States and globally. And there's, there are structurally food deserts predominantly in low economic areas. But that's Most, purposely done. Well, it's, yes. Yes, might as well say that. Yeah, it is. Because it's the same reason why there's food deserts, the same reason why there's three liquor stores. So it's, it's, the, the reasons are the same. So here's the thing. When you mentioned the Buffalo shooting, I'm not, you know, most people, if you don't know, if this is your first time listening to you, shame on you, because we've been doing this for going on two years, and I've been doing talk shows for doing this for five years. I've been in, in, I've been in, in military spaces, I've been in protection spaces, I've been in a lot of different spaces, I've been in neuroscience spaces, and I, and, and I love them all. And when I look at this shooting, there was a litany of lists that really struck me that was missed. And, and Judge Claudia Barbie kind of talked about that. Things that were missed were things that were not said. Now, let's go from the beginning of the young man. He was kicked out of school because of something that the school felt that it was threatening. He was kicked out. Now, from that school principal administration that he was kicked out, he was not looked at by whom? His family, friends, school did not follow up. There was no follow up on his depression state or his mental state. That's, that's a little small thing that became a large thing that got missed. And then the, him buying the gun, he was first disqualified, then he became qualified. I mean, there's a lot of these little holes that, like, you just can't throw it all and say, this was wrong, this was bad. There's a lot of little nuances that just got missed that we miss, and I think the reason why I said that at the beginning, as a human race, as a human culture, no one cared enough to see that he was hurting. That's, that's, that's a problem. He's not in my community. I don't personally know him. But if it's my neighbor, if it's my classmate, if it's my son, if it's my daughter, if it's my whomever it is that should be able to look at a friend, family member, co-worker and saying, you know, Judge Barber, are you okay? And certain words should trigger us and saying like, no, let me let me grab a hold of my sister. Let me grab a hold of my brother and find out and call for some damn help. We don't do that enough. We like, it's none of my business. I'm out. So, well, part of the none of my business uh, really also triggered another issue for me. And that is the fact that you don't have major consequences for whatever incident that um, happened last year. It obviously wasn't enough to, um, you know, uh, do more uh, because uh, this system that we have here now, if you, you know, if if you want to use the N-word, that's not going to put you in jail. No. If you want to, um, you know, say some really racist things to black people, there, there, there are not enough laws around here to build, to build a case that that would cause severe or 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 major consequences or even alarms even alarms but see even in the Sean Urbanski case uh Lieutenant Collins who was killed and stabbed in College Park and uh his uh ha, um his assailant is in a is in jail right now in Prince George's County and the bottom line is that the judge didn't even rule that as a hate crime. Now, to me, you know, that's that's awful. That's awful. Well, 
you know, you know, don't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to say something before we get to our guest. Yes. We had a discussion last week about the correction officer Vicky White, mm-hmm. who, you know, broke the mm-hmm. prisoner Casey White out of jail. And then we talked about, oh my gosh, what could you know, what could have happened to this woman that she would throw her life away like that? And uh and then we talked about, oh, she you know, her husband recently died and maybe, you know, she was dealing with trauma and things of that sort. A a member of our audience said, would we have made that same, would we have felt as, how how do I say it? Uh, Would we have felt the same way if if it had been like a a black woman? No. In this situation, the same thing. Would we have been talking about his mental health? No. I'm sorry, his mental health, had he been a person of color? You know, would we be saying, hey, you know, it was well, you got to be very to... careful when you when you address the mental health issue, because mm-hmm. everybody wants to blow that up in a way that would absolve him or, or find him not criminally responsible. And see, I'm not trying to go down that. Road. Nope, neither am I. I, what I what I am will say is that we don't have enough people caring about people to know that someone's on the mental health of a break, and that and that is harmful because it turns into a shooting on the subway to a shooting in a, in, in, in a community. But let's mm-hmm. get to Lori and uh, ju- Marilyn. Are, are, are you going to are you going for you? Are you going to introduce her? Or is she going to introduce herself? What, what, what? Oh, no, Lori Ann's very good at this. She could introduce herself. She'll really? do a much better job than I could ever do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, drum roll, please. Go ahead, Lori. All right. So, um, we are so first of all, I'm... I want to say we're just so happy to have you here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> uh, uh, Lori Ann is my former uh city council member so i was happy to vote for her before and now she's going on to bigger and better things and i'm just so proud of her oh thank you marilyn marilyn has been a huge supporter and i've known her almost 10 years now before i got onto the city council um, because of the uh, leadership roles I've held in the Montgomery County Young Democrats as vice president and then president of the Association of Black Democrats, formerly known as the African American Democratic Club. So very happy to be here to talk with you about my next big endeavor to run to represent all 1.1 million residents in our county and uh, oversee a $6 billion plus budget with nine um, 10 other uh, council members. Uh, more than six of us are going to be new to the Montgomery County Council. And so um, I'm running to bring test, trusted, tested, and experienced leadership to the council. And I will tell you a little bit about myself and where I grew up and how I got here. Um, you know, I originally grew up in Prince George's County, I'm the daughter of Jamaican immigrants. My mother was a social worker with Montgomery County, so she worked with victims of domestic violence and substance abuse. And then my father, who was in the military, he was an army man, and he was stationed at Walter Reed. Is that Wuha? And so yeah, Paul and, Paul and I are very happy that he chose the best branch. Awesome, awesome, mm-hmm. good, good, good. I was in the um, Air Force ROTC in high school, so. Well, you didn't choose as well, but we'll forgive you. (laughs) So I probably would have entered into the military had I not gotten pregnant in my senior year of high school. And so that totally threw a wrench in my plans and I had to reimagine what my future was going to be now that I had a new life growing inside of me. I knew that education was my only opportunity to make a way uh, for me and my daughter. And so after I graduated, I started at Prince George's Community College. I didn't know of any college campuses where I could take my baby onto the campus. And so I commuted with her on the bus. Sometimes I had to take her into the classroom with me. Um, So I can only imagine what some of our young parents are going through who don't make the sacrifice or aren't able to make the sacrifice. But 
I knew I had to complete my degree and it took me four years before I finished. Upon completing my associates, I was accepted into the University of Maryland College Park, their School of Public Health. And I also moved to Montgomery County at this time. I was able to live in affordable housing in North Bethesda. I think it's uh, Pike and Rose is the new location or White Flint, depending on who you speak with. But this was a really um, continues to be a thriving part of our county. And because of how Montgomery County does um, affordable housing, it's not concentrated. You know, I was living with people who paid up to $2,000 a month and people who were paying up to three and $600 a month for their monthly incomes. My daughter was going to a really good school and lots of amenities were nearby. So I could complete my degree, get to work and live in a community where she was safe to go to school and play outdoors. What I did realize with that is, was that there are a lot of haves and have nots in Montgomery County. And depending on where you live, you see that more closely. Um, Michaela was the only black child in her third grade classroom. Um, and I realized that the county had a bit more unique resources than we did in Prince George's County. We had an NAACP parent, NAACP parent council in addition to the regular Montgomery County PTA. And because there was such a widening achievement gap that continued to grow, regardless of how much money has been thrown into the education system, teachers and parents and student activists took a bus down to Annapolis and we were supposed to go down there and advocate for more funding to build more schools, more teacher pay you, everything you can think of. And while I was there, I looked around the room at the people that we elected to represent us in Annapolis. And I realized that no one looked like me. The people that were going to Annapolis to advocate for resources didn't look like my child, didn't look like any of the kids that were suffering from this achievement gap, but they were the ones we were sending to Annapolis year after year to advocate for us, represent us, bring resources back appropriately. And we weren't holding them accountable because we did not have relationships with them. I knew then that we need to, to keep a closer eye on who represents us at the state. And when I graduated from the University of Maryland, I decided I wouldn't get a master's in public health. I wanted to influence policy. I got a master's in public policy from the University of Baltimore right here in my backyard at the universities of Shady Grove. And when I graduated in 2013, I ran for my first office state delegate. We had never sent a black woman to Annapolis and I was unsuccessful. It's hard to be the first one to do something. Um, and so even though we did not send a black woman to Annapolis in 2014, I was able to help the first black woman get appointed in 2015. Uh, to the Maryland General Assembly, and she has continued to be reelected. And now we have, I believe, four Black women representing us in the Maryland General Assembly. And it's become even more diverse. We have even uh, more Asians, more Latinos. Um, and so our state delegation is continuing to reflect the population of Montgomery County, which is now majority people of color. Yes, so now that we are majority of people of color, our elected officials need to reflect that. And so when I moved to the city of Gaithersburg and I hear all this talk about being the most diverse city in the country, and you know, I look at our, our uh, city council members and it's all white men. And I just couldn't believe that me living on the east side of the city, I shouldn't be confused that none of the council members lived on the east side of the city. There was no development happening here and it was poorly underinvested. They kept talking about the biotech corridor and the biotech corridor was only on the west side of the city. Um, the Lake Forest Mall, we were having um, lots of violent acts. People were getting robbed, murdered, um, and that wasn't happening on the other side of the city. We weren't having any investments in new housing or anything else of that nature. And so I decided to run for local office, nonpartisan, 
So that means when I was door knocking, I was talking to Democrats, independents, and Republicans. And I ran in 2015 again unsuccessfully, came in last place. But the people that I was meeting at the door told me continue to stay involved, continue to keep going. And so I started the Gaithersburg Upcounty Breakfast Club, similar to what Maryland is. If it does not exist, you will have to build it and they will come. I remember my one of my first coffees, it was me and two other people. And they said, continue to do it. Keep going, keep going. Uh, before the pandemic, we had 70 people coming to the breakfast. And these were happening at 6.30 a.m. at small businesses all around the county, um, all around the city of Gaithersburg. And then we eventually moved to an online platform and still had over 100 people tune into the breakfast club. And the last one we did was talking about uh, food insecurity and how we can reimagine what we're doing in the ag reserve, which is uh, a third of our county's land mass, the largest ag reserve in the nation, mm -hmm. and a prime opportunity for us to build a local food ecosystem that can add to a sustainable environment for us to co cultivate our own food to table crops right here in Montgomery County. Um, and so having served um, in the city of Gaithersburg when I got elected in 2017, after you know growing my network and knocking doors like a mad woman, I came in first place and became the first African-American elected. And uh, while that was uh, an incredible feat, the work had just started. I got elected while Trump was just beginning his term in office, and it was a very scary time. Um, we had two government shutdowns. Um, this was during the time where they were you know, packing the court and we were waiting and waiting for trying to um, delay his uh, uh, attempts to appoint the two people, um, Kavanaugh and Justice Comey Barron. Um, and so we survived through that and thought that that was going to be the height of our experience. And then the pandemic happened and then the murder of George Floyd. And being a leader in that city, the most diverse city, I'm the only black woman on the council, um, having to have those difficult conversations with my colleagues while fighting back my emotions was traumatizing in and of itself as we're in the midst of mental health month. It's hard to explain trauma to someone who isn't in your shoes and doesn't have the experiences and doesn't see George Floyd as someone who could have been a part of your family. Um, it's hard to reason with someone like that. Um, and these are conversations I had to engage in. I'm glad that we had these opportunities because I got to engage with people like our police chief, the county's police chief, our county executive, and student leaders who were pissed off and frustrated and organizing protests and not knowing what to do next. I realized that we needed a racial equity analysis in the city of Gaithersburg across all departments if we were really going to truly be uh, not just a diverse community, but inclusive. And if we wanted to have a pathway towards restorative justice within the community, we had to look at our hiring practices within our police department, we had to look how we were spending our money through the procurement. And we also had to look at where we were building amenities, where are the dog parks going, where are all the parks going and how close, what is the walkability for all of our residents? Um, and so I'm glad. Mm -hmm. I just am impressed by all that you're saying yeah. and all that and much of what you're sharing. One of the things, however, when people mention diverse diversity equity those two synonymous um uh terms uh some uh governments uh handle that in various ways some hire a diversity officer and think that's the end of it mm -hmm. and um you know that's just so insulting to a whole bunch of people uh, but um, the other part that 
um, surprises me is that when you're dealing with municipalities, a, a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes there are inequities in municipal governments uh, based on the workforce that you would never know about unless you had a specific conversation with people in the workforce. Everybody's not going to file a grievance when they don't get a promotion. Everybody's not going to start a, a case like that because they fear being blackballed. And um, uh, oftentimes, however, that requires nitty gritty work into the history of the promotion practices of the municipal government. Are they bypassing people of color Purposely. in their promotions? You know, well, uh, the, uh, and the, and the, the, the reason was, I it wasn't even promotions, it was hiring, hiring too, hiring we too, and hired a diverse workforce to promote a diverse workforce. We've never hired a black woman in our police force. In the so that, yeah, that's where the issues start. And, the, and even in, if you start with just the hiring piece of this, I cannot tell you I've been to. Uh, HR meetings or conferences or forums or what or whatever. There are still people in this in this day and age who reject applications based on the spelling of people's names, based on how their name looks. And if it looks Nigerian, that's a no. If it looks Muslim, that's a no. If it if your name looks that's not necessarily true. We've had pretty diverse people working in our department, our yes, department. Yes, but I'm I'm sharing with, yeah. with you what people blurted out to me mm. in an HR forum mm. as to what they, they have done mm. actually in reviewing applications. I'm not saying that's always the case because yes, there are Nigerians that are that are that are hired and there are Haitians that are hired and they're you know, Pakistans that are hired, but there's this, um, um, you know, there, there's this entrenched uh, uh, systemic problem that uh, not just goes with the hiring, but with the, as I said before, with the promotions, um, you know, and, it, and if you keep unwinding, but you would never know this on the surface because, um, you know, uh, a lot of times municipalities um, uh, will are, are like many government agencies. They don't tell the truth as all as oftentimes employers don't tell the truth as to the reasons why applications are rejected. Uh, they're, they're not always 100 percent accurate on those points. Lori, yes. when you get into office, mm -hmm. it's 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 what is your first day of duty, you know, your first, we say, you know, your first set things you're going to roll out. What What are some of those things? Well, I think before even rolling out, I do have a smart agenda and I will put my, um, you know, my website in the chat box because, you know, it's a five point policy platform that calls for strengthening our commitment to 21st century education from cradle to career and beyond, making a living in our county more affordable, advancing local food production in our ag reserve, recovering from the, econ from the pandemic while we revitalize our economy, and then tackling climate change through multimodal transportation infrastructure solutions. Please give your website because this is live, um, going on live on social media and live on podcast too. So um, saying it, people who are watching, listening on podcasts, they won't be able to see the, the chat. So if you want to just give that out verbally okay, too. Okay, definitely. So my website is lauriannsales.org. That's L-A-U-R-I-E-A-N-N-E dot O-R-G. And I also have my commercial on there. I have videos of other presentations I've had, some of the forums we participated in, and a little bit more um, in-depth on the policy platform. Um, you know, Are there food deserts in your community? We're in Montgomery County. It's one of the... Um, 
wealthiest counties in our state, but we do have food deserts. I mean, that's the reason why, you know, a lot of our seniors are, you know, um, on a waiting list for food stamps and are going to uh, food distribution events all over our county. People who are in the middle class are accessing food at our food distributions every weekend. They're going to multiple food distribution sites to feed their family. Um, you know, inflation is not only affecting, you know, people who have money, but it's impacting everyone. Um, we have a lot of people who are suffering and, you know, food should not be something that's so expensive or something that we are denying access to for people in a county like this. And if we okay, have so land, another another issue that came up with the food desert that we talked about at the beginning of the program. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I really didn't focus on this point, but oftentimes when you have a food desert, you have a dual issue with transportation. Mm -hmm. exactly. Is your transportation system good enough to get people to the grocery store? No. Not all the time. That's and I think that's purposely done. That needs to be fixed. Well, there's always, there's always... A <laughs> Here's the thing: when a lot of people don't look at transportation as a as an equality thing, too. But everyone does not drive a vehicle. Mm -hmm. A lot of people take two and three buses to get to a job they have to get to. Where I live in Montgomery County, people got to go down to the Silver Spring Station and take the Silver Spring line over to the next line, and then they have to get on. It, it, yes, it is. Yeah. It's ridiculous, but they don't. But here's the thing, Lorianne, as you've been working in Montgomery County, we've had other people who ran for running and who are in office in Montgomery County. The racial inequity was done on purpose. That's something you have to climb over and through as you get elected. That is something that the pushback of white America in Montgomery County are not going to take lightly. I mean... I was the first in the city of Gaithersburg, and that wasn't an easy feat. But once I got on the council and they realized that, you know, oh, she can ask good questions and, oh, she's a hard worker. She's not here to, you know, she really wants to make a difference. She wants to work with us to make this community better. I was able to expand the biotech corridor from the west side to the east side build transportation infrastructure to bridge the east and west sides of our city and spur economic development. And now we have tons of investments of affordable and mixed use projects happening on the east side. And when I left the city account, city council to run for this countywide position, I was able to identify and support and help a black woman get elected who now represents the city and so we continue to have just one woman serving, but at least we have some diversity on the council. And, you know, what happened in Buffalo is because of this supposed fear that just because we are um, growing our communities in a more diverse way, that it's somehow threatening to um, non-people of color, which you know, we've, we've lived and we've navigated, we've overcome, you know, years of being in the minority and we've survived. We have learned to adapt. And the same way we have learned to adapt, the same way they are going to have to now adapt in how we are allocating resources to our residents who are now majority people of color, who have lots of, um, you know, pre-existing conditions and their own unique challenges. But you show the value in how you, um, you know, invest your money into the community. And we have to invest it where the needs are. And it's with the people who don't have a lot. It's with the people who are struggling to go back to work, struggling to keep their businesses open. That's all over our county. Um, it's not just black and brown families, but lots of families are suffering in our county. And I think it's great that we have, you know, this new crop of elected officials coming, but the experience and how to allocate resources, how to make zoning changes, to build more affordable housing, to build 
communities that don't um, decrease your health, but actually, um, uh, um, you know, um, are building upon your your public health and creating a healthy environment for you to thrive. Walkability, not having check cashing places, but places that are welcoming you to open a bank account so that you can save and invest and, you know, build towards having home ownership. You know, these are the sorts of investments that we can make with the right people overseeing our resources. And well, another point you brought up is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now everybody is looking at, uh, actually, another event this, um, this week happened. Uh, there was a million dollar donation that is being made and they're not calling it reparations, but they're giving it to about the three or four survivors of the Tulsa massacre. Right. Okay. Did you say so, a million dollars? A million dollars. That's and it. so um, the point is, is that you spend money on what you want to spend money on and the governments prioritize what they want to prioritize. And the point is, is that you didn't found $40 billion in your couch to give to Ukraine. Okay, but you can't fix the affordable housing problem. And we can't feed people. And we can't feed people. We can't. Out of poverty? Really? You found $40 billion out the couch. So when you're in those meetings, Lorianne, and you hear, and, and we know people in, who sit in different areas, and you did say something that I think many black people who have gone through higher ed who have been in those rooms with only few people that look like us, if we're the only ones that look like us, we always have to prove ourselves so they'd be like, yeah, he can stay. <laughs> okay, you can come to the cookout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can, can come. come to the cookout. You, you can show up tomorrow. <laughs> but it, it, it's sad that we have to continuously shoulder that. Continuously, it, it's something that it's not even said. It's we look. That's why we look at each other in certain hallways. We're like, I see it on your shoulder. I see it on your shoulder. <laughs> but so, is that something that you're able to change once you get into that seat? Yeah, and how yeah. are you going to make? What do those conversations sound like to you? You know, I believe in lifting as you climb. I don't believe in closing the door behind me. I believe in cultivating the next generation of leadership. For lunch this afternoon, I talked to a room full of young ladies, black and brown young women who are going through the pandemic, don't know what their job prospects are. These are the young women who need more mentorship. Our young boys need mentorship not just in the classroom, not just through disciplinary actions, but we have to be cultivating the next generation of leadership. And we have to encourage the people from impacted communities to show up at these council meetings. I was a single mom. I had PTA meetings. I had a job. I had to study for school. But my daughter and students that look like her, I knew that they were at risk if I didn't show up at those PTA meetings. So we made, we, we made a night of it. We would go to the PTA meetings and we would have our snacks with us. But you make those sacrifices for the things that are important to you. You know, lots of people have, everyone has 24 hours in a day. How are you going to spend that time is where your priorities and where the trajectory of your life will take you. And so those conversations that I have is for me to show up in my full authentic self with my lived experiences every day at the dais, every day that uh, a, a development project comes before my desk, every day that um, a new residential community comes before my desk to be voted on, um, you know, this is what I'm going to be bringing to the table. My years of experience on the city council, my years raising a child who is now going to be a college graduate this Thursday and Friday from the University of Maryland College Park. It's this experience becoming a homeowner on my own. I mean, it's possible in Montgomery County. No one's saying it's easy and no one's saying that the government did not have resources to help me get to where I'm going. And there's no reason why we can't ensure that those resources are available for anyone who wants to call our county home.
And we just have to be more intentional about how we're spending our money and who we are supporting on a road to self-sufficiency in this county. Does anyone have any questions for Ms. Lorianne? Mm-hmm. Anyone else? If, if, if Marilyn, you see a hand raised, you let me know. But until your hand gets raised, there oh there it is, Bernadette. Oh, here we go. <laughs> no, what did you set me up like that? No, my friend. No, <laughs> and even Anyway, well, first, just thank you for running for office, mm-hmm. and also thank you for thank you for your transparency about yeah. your journey. Mm-hmm. There's so many lessons to learn. And I don't take it for granted. So I live in Montgomery County as well. I'm also the daughter of Caribbean immigrants, um, you know, but m- moved from New York to the, to the county 30 years ago. Um, well, over 30 years ago. Anyway, um, I wanted to ask, um, what's been your experience with the, um, uh, with the county executive? What, what's, what's your experience with Mark El- Elric? Well, I've known Mark since he was a council member. And so I've always known Mark to be a straight shooter, um, to be um, very direct, uh, very responsive, uh, thoughtful. Um, And he's not a um, quick to respond. He takes some time because he's a thinker and he likes to think things through. Um, You know, I hosted a fundraiser for him in his last campaign. And this time around, we've been um, endorsed by quite a few similar organizations. Um, You know, I think that he's starting to understand that Um, You know, in addition to the incredible labor workforce that we have an economy that has to be maintained and has to uh, be safeguarded and sustained. And so um, I'm sure the pandemic was unexpected for any of us. But here's here's my take. And and again, transparency is why this is, you know, it's, it's it's our show. I feel Mark Elridge has disrespected the black community in so many ways, even when it comes to the burial grounds and to the developers. And whether he did it, I kind of, you know, Mark is not a dumb guy. I have had conversations. So did he do it intentionally? I happen to think so. If it's not intentionally, I would like him to say so. But but because the way it has the way it has unfolded, it just appears to be intentional because he has stated that he would never do that to a Jewish cemetery. So with the with the with the bodies that found even recently, the bodies that was undiscovered underneath a parking uh, underneath a um, um, that's bad. It, it's, and, so, and and the government needs to come clean with that stuff. If you found bodies, you know, uh, I and, mean, I, I would. If we had found bodies, you know, I've I've spoken with the, um, you know, the cemetery, um, you know, the uh, cemetery activist, the organization, Dr. Adebayo, and for years she has been a strong champion for you know, being a voice for this uh, forgotten community. And so, you know, um, I know that there have been um, efforts to, um, you know, resolve the issues with state governments because this is um, no longer land owned by the county. It's gone through so many different iterations with this particular cemetery. And I know that it's not going to be resolved with the county. It's not going to be resolved with the state. Um, You know, I don't know the last time that everyone has gotten to the table about this issue. And, you know, it's, you know, that issue is is a sore spot largely because also I'm questioning 
the prosecution of the of of the people who are responsible for building over graves and you know the the government not doing enough to make sure that didn't happen <laughs> and and I and this is not to put you on the spot with a friend that you that you call Mark at all but my question is is when things like this happens when a person <clears throat> When you talk about food deserts and job deserts, Mark has been at this seat for a while, and we and he's he's repeatedly being voted in. It's it's like you said, we need to stop sending back the people who have not changed anything. That's for us. That now that we're predominantly African American or minority, it's it's so. How is he representing us? So he needs to be changed. So Mark just recommends how money is supposed to be spent in the budget. Mm -hmm. The council who is actually executing and approving Mm -hmm. that the money should go here, the money shouldn't go there. You know, so he's not working in a silo to address these issues. But we do have a a, 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 a former county executive who went on the record preserving Jewish cemeteries and not desecrating them and not having, you know, developers build parking lots over them or even other other buildings on them. So there's a huge difference between what a former county executive did and what the current county executive did as it pertains to the same issue of building on cemeteries that uh, may have uh, buried slaves that may have and so you know this isn't a conversation that's going to be um decided in the public this is going to be decided through legislation and through continued conversation and so we have to be clear about um what the options are for this site and what the timeline is because what's there now it cannot continue. And so we all have to come to the table and figure out what needs to be done there. It's gone on over a decade. I think it's almost a decade because it was, you know, like you said, while a former county executive legate was in office. So this isn't something new. And, you know, I feel like we are just continuing to go around in circles with this conversation. And so it would be helpful to have, go ahead, Bernadette. I'm sorry. I, I was just sort of keeping my place in line. I didn't want to interrupt what you were saying. Uh-uh. The, the only thing I, w- I want to say uh, as a constituent mm-hmm. with regard to this and other issues, and I, I, I hope um, I, I'm, sa- I'm saying this from a place of support. Um, please don't ever feel like you have to prove anything. Mm-hmm. Relieve yourself of that burden. You are an asset to this county. You are an asset to the state, just like those ancestors. Africans and the descendants of Africans built this country, built this state, built this county. I hope it helps you to hear from me. Please free yourself from the paradigm of always, I mean, not not that you're doing, please, if there is a paradigm in these governing bodies that people of African descent are needy populations, I don't want to be seen as part of only a needy population. All of us need services, but all of us are assets Mm -hmm. and we could not exist without people who look like us. And so it's not about giving us handouts. Mm-hmm. Any, any program that helped you or that helped me back in New York City was an investment yeah. because this country is getting it back many fold. Yes. Yeah. And I please, I want you to speak from that position of power. Mm-hmm. They need to understand that we know our value and we're not asking for permission because people who looked at like us 
built the wealth of this entire hemisphere and Europe and the royal families. So I, 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 I'm, you know, I just please, uh, I don't want to rant anymore. No, but, no, but see, but you are, you are an asset, and anything that was given to you was an investment, and we all have the rights to those investments because we pay into them. Exactly, and I, I don't look at it as a handout. I look at it as a hand up. Absolutely. At every point in our lives, we all need a hand up at some point when we all are ready to retire and we want to tap into Medicare, we need a hand up and we want to make sure it's fully funded and it's there for us to access. And so, you know, being the county executive is not the easy job. And, um, you know, I can't make excuses for Mark and, you know, why his cabinet looks the way it does, why he's prioritized certain things the way he has. Um, you know, what I can focus on is that we were ground zero during the pandemic. And when it was time to stand up resources like our vaccination clinic and our testing center, we had one right at the Lake Forest Small Transit Center because, of course, our residents have difficulties getting down county to the testing centers. And so the transit center provided a perfect opportunity for so many people who couldn't access um, those services otherwise. And we had two hubs on the east side of the city so residents could access it. And we met with the county executive staff every week during the pandemic. Every single week we met with them to get resources back to the county, to the city. Um, and that was with the 19 municipalities across the city. So, you know, I can vouch for his, um, you know, responsiveness to getting the resources that we need. Now, not everyone is going to say that they um, appreciated those resources because we have a lot of businesses that didn't make it because of some of the decisions that the county executive made um, and the council made to close businesses, how they close businesses, how they open businesses. And so it comes down to, we have to talk to the people. We have to talk with our stakeholders. The people who are going to be impacted by policy should be a part of policy making. Policy making shouldn't happen in a vacuum and it shouldn't happen where we're imposing law on the public, but that we're engaging in the public process of policy making to ensure that the policy solutions we're developing are going to be long-term solutions that work for all of us. And so, you know, my background's in public health. I have the foundation of policy making through my fellowship with the Schaefer Center for Public Policy. So I'm about creating solutions, breaking down barriers, and talking to people who aren't um, used to coming to solutions at the table i think um so are you about breaking down barriers or kicking the damn walls down <laughs> which one because you can break it down or you can kick it down <laughs> i'm about breaking down the barriers during my first four years let me get through my first term let me understand where the holes are where the opportunities are but we we'll have a, a huge audit that needs to be done across all departments mm -hmm. that we need to see where, you know, the waste and uh, fraud and where all the opportunities to, you know, reallocate funding to better work for our communities. There's a lot of opportunity. Well, if you ever want me to bring a sledgehammer, I'm, 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 I'll come. I'll bring the station wagon. I put the kids in the back and we come rolling. We'll <laughs> Recently, um, the Caucus of African American Leaders in Maryland were having a crisis in the black community in Montgomery's. We're holding it at Montgomery State University on July 8th and 9th. Have you ever gotten a flyer about that already or anything like that? No. So I'll make sure I'll get your email from Maryland and I'll send it to you. But basically, it's, it's to invite anyone who's running, anyone who is seated, and anyone who's an activist to come to Morgan to talk about these issues, whether it be economics, whether it be recidivism, whether it be reinstitution of uh, uh, prison, education, um, black businesses, and, and voting. So it's about a policy building form. So uh, I just want to 
verbally and, and, and publicly in, invite you to the event on July 8th and 9th at Morgan State. Uh, does anyone have any questions before we take off? You want to give your um, your email again for, for people who may not have heard it? Yeah, so the website again is lauriansales.org. That's L-A-U-R-I-E-S-A-Y-L-E-S.org. And then my email is info at lauriansales.org. And my phone number, I give out my phone number because I want to make sure I'm accessible, is 240-292-292. Nine seven five four. You can call or text me. Texting is always uh, preferred because I could be on a Zoom or in a meeting, and uh, it's always quicker to get a response if you text me. But I want to make sure I'm accessible, and I will continue to do the same thing once I'm elected as well. Zanita, yes. I have a question. Go ahead, girl. Um, you're a beautiful woman, and. I hope that you win. I'm not in your county, though, so I can't vote for you. But in light of what happened this weekend with the shooting, and there are a lot of, they say, African-Americans now on edge, um, going to grocery stores, going about their daily activities. Do you think that the police would be cooperative in putting more um, like undercover just around in those areas or even uniform officers around to kind of reassure the people, even in Montgomery County, because you just never know when it could pop off now because now everybody feels like they're emboldened, even though Tucker Carlson try to walk it back and say he's not inciting this. Mm. But he is. And so the next hero that they will take away alive, you know, they won't even throw him down on the ground or anything. They just let him walk away mm-hmm. in handcuffs um, from the shooting. Yeah, It's like, how, how can African-American people be reassured um, and made to feel safe, you know, in their own jurisdictions? You know, I I don't know if as Black people we've ever felt safe in our communities. I think we've always carried trauma from our ancestors and what they've gone through. And when you see, you know, um, sirens pull up and, you know, behind you, I don't know if anyone's feeling happy or excited, you know? I mean... Um, when you go into the department stores and you're being followed, you know, when you're on the job and you're being, you know, micromanaged, you know, these are microaggressions that we have just adapted to as Black people. When we saw um, Ahmaud Aubrey, you know, gunned down while he was jogging, are we supposed to now give up the health and wellness and our quality of life because of these madmen who want to dominate the conversation? Are we supposed to live in fear? Are we not supposed to go and worship in peace? We can't live like that. And so, you know, I see that the government, I was on a call with um, uh, Chris Van Hollen and um, members of his staff, um, Kristen Clark from the Department of Justice, And now they found more money, more resources for faith institutions to ensure that they have better security at their church. This isn't something that's going to stop. And, you know, as a believer, I can't speak for everyone, but as a believer, you know, I wake up every day and I'm grateful that I have breath every day I wake up. And I feel like every day I wake up, I have purpose. And when it's my time, it's my time and I'll be ready. So I'm going to do all I can with the time that I have to make a difference. And so do we want more police presence in a time where um, we want police to be uh, more trusted uh, members of our community? If police can come to our communities and do true community policing and show up not just when there are moments of 
um, you know, a desperation or despair, something could have been prevented. I mean, one of the uh, people who were murdered was a security guard trying to stop what was happening. Um, it was just evilness. And, and sometimes you just cannot combat that. We didn't think that those two... I want to thank everyone for visiting Bridges Live. It is an hour show, and we'll be back to you next week at every Wednesday from 6 to 7. Have a blessed evening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.